It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, hey, And a good Monday morning to all of you. Thanks for joining me as always. It is much appreciated. I'll get to my Super Bowl thoughts later if I can get to them. But this is a Boston sports podcast. So let's start with the Patriots. Bill Belichick up to 2015 as the executive calling all the shots in the front office was pretty good at drafting, right? When you look through 2015, the drafts, I would say, were acceptable. They were fine. But from 2015 to 2022, The drafts of the New England Patriots were dreadful. We went over this in the middle of November. Bill Barnwell wrote a fantastic column about the Patriots and some of the many misses they made in the draft, especially when you talk first round through the third round. It was bad. Well, I'm happy to tell all of you there is a new era. There's a new era happening in this front office, and it's being led by Elliot Wolf and Alonzo Highsmith. Jonathan Jones at CBS Sports wrote about the front office over the weekend, and here's what he had to say about Highsmith. Sources say Highsmith will, in part, help the team transition its grading system, whereas Belichick's Patriots had stringent grading rules on specific players and their fits in organization. The Packers' system has long been noted to emphasize traits like athleticism, versatility, and explosiveness. Now, it should be pointed out, that Belichick did not outright ignore explosiveness and athleticism, right? John Lyons of the New England Football Journal and WEEI actually posted at me when I tweeted out the Highsmith news from Jones, and here's what Lyons wrote. It felt like the Patriots tried to make a change in 2022 with such a huge focus on RAS. Now, RAS is the relative athletic scores. They went too far with it, Lions posted, though. Hopefully, Wolf Highsmith can find a better balance. I think it's a fair point. And when you are grading out prospects, you have to look at the entire picture. Don't lean too heavily on any one thing. You're looking at the mosaic, right, and seeing whether or not it makes sense. But as far as Wolf and Highsmith moving away from the Belichick grading system, this makes all the sense in the world. Now, we should say as well, That explosivity and athleticism and versatility, those are not mutually exclusive from intelligence and processing, right? Just because Jonathan Jones says that Wolf and Highsmith are going to look at players differently, they're going to grade players differently, and they're going to focus on athleticism, versatility, and explosiveness, that doesn't mean that Wolf and Highsmith are sitting there saying, 
oh, well, you know, this guy we think is not very football smart, but let's draft him anyway because he's explosive and he's athletic. Not how this works. The explosivity, athleticism, and versatility, not mutually exclusive from intelligence and processing. Now, I did a lot of homework looking at Elliot Wolf and Alonzo Highsmith and what their history tells us when they work together in a front office. You do not want to miss what I found out. It's coming up in a few minutes. I remind all of you, number one, big show tomorrow. Andrew Callahan of the Boston Herald will be joining us live at 11 a.m. right here on YouTube. We'll also be on Facebook, Twitter, slash X. So Andrew Callahan is with us tomorrow as a guest. Give us that thumbs up for having Andrew on the show tomorrow. And we're also going to do something special tomorrow. All the super chats that you guys and gals send to us, right? Usually the super chat, you donate money to me. You contribute to the program financially. Well, tomorrow, all of the super chats that are going to be sent during that show tomorrow to myself and Andrew Callahan as we talk Patriots, all those donations will go towards cancer research in the name of the Doug Kide family. So it's going to be a very special show tomorrow. Every super chat that you send tomorrow during the show will be a donation to cancer research. We will also have a link at the bottom of the YouTube channel where the description is of the episode. We'll have a link there that you can click onto if you want to donate as well. So tomorrow, a very, very special program with myself and Andrew Callahan. We're going to go crazy with the Patriots talk. You don't want to miss it. Don't forget, as you listen today, like, comment, and subscribe. Trying to get to 2,000 subscriptions by the beginning of March. Can we hit that goal? I hope so. But that's the goal. Rate and review on Spotify and Apple Pods. Okay, so back to the idea that Hightower, I'm going to do that multiple times, I know it. Highsmith, <laughs> the Dante Hightower news over the weekend too. Keep in mind that you got Highsmith and Wolf in the front office. And moving away from the Belichick grading system, First of all, when you look at this, example number one to me of why Bill Belichick would not have worked coming back here to New England. A lot of people thought, hey, look, just, just allow Bill to coach. Let Bill be the head coach. Change the front office any way that you want, but take personnel power from Bill. I didn't think that Bill would give up personnel power. That's the first thing. Second thing is, if he was willing to give the personnel power up, would he be willing to completely change and overhaul the system like we're going to see. I just can't imagine. I can't imagine that Belichick would be sitting back in the war room as Highsmith and Wolf are going over this new grading system looking at prospects. Can you imagine Belichick? He'd want to flip the table over. My man would want to move furniture in that room. I just do not see Belichick sitting back and acquiescing to the point where he would be okay with the front office changing the grading system from what he had done for almost a quarter of a century with the Patriots. I don't think he'd be cool with that. I don't think he'd be sitting back and saying, okay, you guys are just completely flipping the script. I'm just going to sit back and enjoy the show. Do you see Bill Belichick doing that? I don't. So this is example number one, why you had to move away from Belichick fully. Because even Belichick, the coach, would have his nose in on the grading system, in on the draft, and in on the personnel. It wouldn't be 100% like he had the year prior, but he would have a voice in that room. And I would just have to imagine that Belichick would not be thrilled with this idea of them dumping his grading system for something new. This is also why you go to Elliot Wolf. 
This is why you pick Wolf over Matt Groh. Because Wolf has the experience with pro personnel, as we've talked about. He has a much larger and versatile portfolio than Matt Groh does. We've talked about Elliot Wolf's network. Because of Wolf's network, you bring in Alonzo Highsmith, and now you have Highsmith redoing the grading system, really starting from scratch to a point. So if you did not have Wolf as the guy, you don't have Highsmith, and Highsmith is not working on transitioning from the Bill Belichick grading system to his and Elliot Wolf's grading system. This is why relationships matter. I'll keep saying it on this podcast until I'm blue in the face. Relationships matter. Who you know, have you worked with them, how is that relationship, and how are you going to change things together as a cohesive unit? We now see that with Wolf and Highsmith. And many of you, I know many of you, wanted to move away from the Belichick way. And as we continue to march through this offseason, I think we continue to see example after example as to how this team is moving away from Belichick, whether it's the coaching staff, the front office, and now how they're going to handle the draft. All of these are major differences, and that's good. So you have that network. You bring Highsmith in. Highsmith, as we've talked about, outside of New England. This is why you wanted to look at people from outside of New England, outside of that bubble, because they have different ideas. They have different thoughts as far as prospects and how they should be graded. This is why you wanted fresh eyes in that front office. This is why I, I had sat there and, and said so many times during the latter stages of the season when people said, oh, well, Elliot Wolf's been in the front office with Belichick. What's going to change? Just because you are in the front office with Belichick does not believe that does not mean that you believe in everything that Belichick does. I've always said, right, guilt by association. Don't have guilt by association. And Elliot Wolf and Highsmith immediately are changing the Belichick system when it comes to the draft, which tells you Wolf was not a Belichickian. Wolf was not a Belichick guy. He came up with the Green Bay Packers under his father, went to the Cleveland Browns. This is why when we talked about all of this stuff in past podcasts, now you circle back. And that's why we talked about those things in those prior podcasts, because it sets up this very moment, the idea that outside eyes, people that were not Belichick loyalists, people that did things their own way before they got to New England, those are the people that can change this system and try to evolutionize what's going on here in New England at that facility. Bill Belichick's approach to the draft ultimately limited the board, right? We heard story after story for the past 20-plus years that the Patriots would walk into a draft and they would have only so many players on their draft board. And every other team would have hundreds of names on the draft board. But the Patriots and Belichick were so far ahead of the curve, they would go into a draft with 30 names, 40 names. Well, the way that Belichick graded prospects meant that the board was not as vast as other teams' boards which meant you were picking from a smaller pool of players. You were throwing guys out before the draft because of the way you looked at it, because you were so stringent. And we knew that, right? The, the Belichick, the Patriot way. You were so stringent with the draft that instead of having maybe 10 or 11 wide receivers on your board, you might only have four or five because you don't think those other receivers could handle the Earhart Perkins offense. 
do you see how everything everything plays into itself right you move away from the Earhart Perkins offense which was as far as language goes very difficult to learn put a lot on the quarterback it simplifies the offense you move to the west coast system so now with the west coast system simplified it's an easier system for the players to learn and you don't necessarily have to pick from a select amount of receivers that you believe can understand the offense that you run because it becomes calculus. Because you run a more simple offense now, you can go out and you can cast a wider net in the draft to find that next wide receiver or two or three. Everything is married together. Moving on from McDaniels and O'Brien with the offense allows you to look at different kinds of receivers. It opens it up. That's the point. Everybody felt earmarked almost for this football team for the past quarter century. And for a long time, that worked. But as the game evolved and things changed, a lot stayed the same here in New England. And without Tom Brady, we started to see the cracks. So now you have more talent to take swings at than you would have over the past 24 years. To me, that's good news. All right. I'm going to get into the Highsmith and Elliott Wolf homework that I did over the weekend because inevitably, everything that I say means nothing if these guys don't succeed, right? None of this means a damn thing unless Wolf and Highsmith actually have a track record. So I dug into their drafts with the Green Bay Packers. I dug into their drafts with the Cleveland Browns. And I am going to let you know how successful they were or maybe they weren't so successful when they work together. Before I do that, for my extra homework over the weekend, give us that thumbs up. Every like means the world to us. More likes means more eyeballs as we try to build this product. So give us that like on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter slash X. We appreciate every single one of them. Continue to throw your comments in. I see them. Don't forget to subscribe. Trying to hit 2,000 subscriptions by March 1st. Can we do it? I'm optimistic, but it's no guarantee. The way we get there is through all of you. So like, comment, subscribe, and Spotify, Apple Pods, rate and review. Couple of chats here. Don't forget, you can send a super chat to jump the line if you'd like. You jump the line and you contribute financially to the program. Highsmith was a huge acquisition, Patrick says. I think it was a fantastic one. Even, even the most recent work that he did down in Miami. When he was at the University of Miami, they had back-to-back top 10 recruiting classes. And Highsmith is a guy who was the talent evaluator. So Highsmith did great work, great work down in Miami. Dave Rooks, good morning, Nick. In your opinion, what do you think Wolf and Mayo are going to do with the third pick? I don't think we have any idea, Dave. I don't think we have any clue as to what they're going to do with the number three pick. Look, it's February 12th. We haven't even hit Valentine's Day yet. A lot of the work, the final work, when you start to put that board together, is going to happen over the next month. You go through the combine, you go through the pro days, you go through your interviews and your visits. So I don't think they have an idea who they're going to draft that three. They might have a philosophy right now. They might be leaning towards a certain way, but I don't think it's leaning strong because they have to go through the process. And on top of that, now we know Highsmith is working on transitioning the grading system. So you've got to go through that transition. You've got to get all of your homework done, the the final notes on all of these prospects. You've got to have multiple meetings to go over what you've seen and heard over the past couple of months and what's changed maybe even in the past couple of weeks. 
You've got to get through the combine and the pro days and the interviews and the visits, and then you get to the draft, and you've got to get through all the smoke screens. So I don't think they have a clear view right now as to, oh, this is the plan. This is what we want to do. Not on February 12th. Maybe two, three weeks from now, I'd believe that a little bit more. Nightshade SB, I'm so pumped for 2024. Need to be optimistic, cap space, and the pick in the top three. Yes. All right, so let's get to the homework that I did over the weekend on Highsmith and Wolf. They have a big-time reputation. But what do the results tell us? What's the resume say? Well, before we get to the resume, I'll give you a little bit of a taste as to what people are saying outside of New England about these two guys. Dan Graziano on Elliot Wolf, ESPN. He wrote, Wolf's apparent ascension has a lot of people around the league encouraged about New England's long-term prospects. A lot of people I talk to say Wolf is overdue for a chance to run his own front office and will thrive in the role. That was Graziano. John Schneider, who is the Seattle Seahawks GM, spoke to Greg Bedard at Boston Sports Journal. Here's what he said about Wolf. Quote, from an evaluation standpoint, Wolf has always been a good evaluator. And Zoe and Elliot are tremendous at collaboration, being inclusive. From what I've heard, New England was very closed off before. People not knowing what was going on or was going to happen. That won't continue. Those guys are great communicators. That's important. The communication process between Highsmith and Elliot and how they speak to others in the front office and how they actually communicate to others across the league. I was having a conversation last night during the Super Bowl with a friend. We are talking about the Jimmy Garoppolo deal back in 2017. My friend asked me, you know, do you think that Belichick traded, San to, traded Garoppolo to San Francisco because that was a better spot for Garoppolo? And I said, well, that might have been part of the reason. But the other part of the reason was Belichick only spoke to so many people during that time. Remember, the Cleveland Browns reportedly wanted to give up two first-round picks for Garoppolo back then. Belichick said thanks but no thanks during the preseason. Then you fast forward in the middle of the season, he spoke to the Niners in the reports at the time, and even in hindsight, they say that Belichick didn't really reach out to anyone outside of San Francisco. And that's because the relationship that Belichick had with Shanahan. It goes back to Mike Shanahan. So the idea of communicating clearly and with more people and being cohesive is good, and that's coming from John Schneider. That's the Seattle Seahawks GM on the record. It's not an anonymous source. It's not somebody with an agenda against Bill Belichick. That is somebody who is putting his name on that, saying Wolf and Highsmith are better communicators than Bill. They're not going to be as closed off as Belichick was. That's vital to this operation. Bedard writes that Schneider brought Highsmith to Seattle for three years. Gladly would have had him stay, but Highsmith decided to go back home to the University of Miami. Schneider said this about Highsmith. He was awesome. He sees the game like a player coach. Really strong for a personnel guy. He's a really good evaluator. Wolf and Highsmith are going to be a great yin and yang. Elliot is detailed, organized, more buttoned up. Zoe's more like a fixer. It's like a liaison between a position coach having a hard time with a player. He could put his foot down like this isn't right or telling the coach you're being too hard. Just getting to the bottom of answers for situations. It's a really great quality to have within a football team. So you've got Highsmith, the fixer. You've got Wolf, the detailed guy. Wolf is looking at the numbers. He's breaking every single thing down. He's highly organized. He's buttoned up. Highsmith is a little bit more loosey-goosey. He talks to the players. He talks to the coaches. He is that in-between between those guys and Elliot Wolf. And when you combine those two types of personalities, it tends to work. When you look at Gerard Mayo and Steve Belichick, for example, 
over the past few years since, what, 2019. Steve Belichick was more X's and O's guy. He was detailed, but he was not that gregarious personality who could reach NFL players and motivate them and get the message across to them clearly. Those guys trusted them, right? So you had Mayo on the defensive staff almost acting like Alonzo Highsmith, and you had Steve Belichick, the play caller, the detailed guy, acting as Elliot Wolf. Let's look at the track record because that's what matters. John Schneider can wax poetic. Writers can write great things about these guys. But what does the resume say? Highsmith and Wolf were together with the Green Bay Packers. They worked together from 2012 to 2017. Wolf was the number two guy in the front office of the Packers during those years. Now, before I get into the homework, I have some parameters. Every first through third round pick for me was graded. So when I say hit or miss, I looked at every single first round, second round, and third round pick from 2012 to 2017 when Wolf and Highsmith were in that front office. I did not count any misses, quote unquote, after the third round. Because once you get to the fourth round, it's pretty much a lottery ticket. To me, you can't really miss on a fourth round pick. Hits after the third round were counted. Because it's very difficult to hit in the fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh rounds. So those are the parameters. I will also say there are two guys from 2012 to 2017 that I found to be very difficult to grade as hit or miss. Eddie Lacy was one of those guys. Now, I know all of us remember the tail end of Eddie Lacy. He pretty much ate himself out of the league. But he was a second-round pick. He won Offensive Rookie of the Year. He made a Pro Bowl. So is he really a hit or is he really a miss? I counted him as a hit, but I could leave him off the list and we could debate that. That was 2013, second-round pick. In 2015, Ty Smith and Wolf were in the front office. Again, Wolf was the number two. Demarius Randall was drafted in the first round by the Packers in 2015. Again, is it a hit or is it a miss? You could argue and you could say that it was a miss because he was a first-round pick, never made a Pro Bowl. You could argue it was a hit because he did start 56 games in his NFL career. So that's more than three seasons as a starter. I actually counted him as a miss. Those are debatable. But when you look at the Green Bay tally, from 2012 to 2017, when Alonzo Highsmith and Elliot Wolf were working together and Wolf was the number two, the Green Bay Packers during those years drafted 10 Pro Bowlers. Highsmith and Wolf were part of a front office that drafted 10 Pro Bowlers over six drafts. And here's the thing about the Pro Bowlers they drafted Pro Bowlers from every level of the draft. First round, second round, third round, fourth round, and fifth round. Every single one of those rounds had at least one Pro Bowl selection. When Highsmith and Wolf were together, Wolf as the number two. In totality, during their time in Green Bay, that front office had 17 hits and nine misses, almost two to one on the ratio. They were twice as likely to hit on a pick than miss on a pick. Again, going off of my parameters. I'll just give you some of the names. In 2012, they drafted Casey Hayward in the third round, pro bowler. Mike Daniels in the fourth round, pro bowler. In 2013, they drafted David Bakatiari in the fourth round, pro bowler. One of the best tackles in football over the past 10 years. 
They drafted Micah Hyde in the fifth round, Pro Bowler. 2014, they drafted Ha Ha Clinton Dix in the first round, Pro Bowler. Oh, and they drafted a guy by the name of Devontae Adams in the second round, Pro Bowler. So Highsmith and Wolf working together in Green Bay, Wolf as the number two. Green Bay drafted 10 Pro Bowlers over six drafts from all different rounds of the draft, 17 hits and nine misses. Pretty damn good. Then Highsmith and Wolf went to Cleveland. They were in Cleveland together in 2018-2019. Wolf again was the number two guy in the front office. There's one guy that's really tough to grade as a hit or a miss, and it's Baker Mayfield because what we've seen this past year. 2018, he was obviously the number one pick. He finished second in the Offensive Rookie of the Year ballot. He was a pro bowler, and he had good to really good seasons in 2018, 2020, and 2023. So he's had three good to really good seasons in the league. He's been a pro bowler. Wouldn't Baker Mayfield be a hit as the number one pick? I actually counted him as a miss. That's a tough miss. But because he was the number one pick, I counted Baker Mayfield as a miss because he was the number one pick, and within four or five years, he had left the organization. But you could argue that he was a hit. You could argue that. When they were in Cleveland together, Highsmith and, and Wolf, they drafted two pro bowlers. They were only there for two drafts. They drafted two pro bowlers. First and second rounds of 2018. They had six hits and three misses. Again, a two-to-one ratio, hits versus misses. So when you look at the actual work that Wolf and Highsmith did in both Green Bay and Cleveland, with Wolf as the number two guy in both spots, we're talking about front offices that drafted 12 Pro Bowlers, had 23 hits versus 12 misses over eight drafts. So people can talk and they can wax poetic about Wolf and Highsmith. The proof is in the pudding. The front office of Green Bay churned out a bunch of pro bowlers when these two guys were in the front office. And I'm not telling you that they made all of those decisions and all of those picks. But what I am telling you is they knew the process, the grading system. And that's why you're moving away from the Belichick grading system to this grading system. They know what goes into evaluating a player. Highsmith, frankly, has been damn good every single time he's been in the NFL in a front office. He was damn good in Green Bay. He was damn good in Cleveland. He went to Seattle, and John Schneider is telling you how great he was. He went to Miami, and he did a great job at the University of Miami helping recruit talent. Highsmith is a made man at that level in the front office. And you could argue Elliot Wolf as a number two is a made man in the front office. Now, can Wolf take that step to be the number one guy? Everything on his resume tells you he's ready. Everything on the resume tells you that he can evaluate talent and that he has been a part of front offices that have drafted talent as the number two guy in those front offices. So yes, Patriots fans should be excited about the idea of Elliot Wolf and Alonzo Highsmith running this front office, and especially running the draft because they have been damn good at doing so. W Red Phil 24, could you imagine Belichick drafting a division double A guy with that top three pick? A little, uh, little F, what, FBS? It's a Monday. FCS? Whatever. You get the point. 
Scott Lakin, the My Draft Room hopes. Want to see a confident draft room? Want to see a draft room that looks excited about the guys they are choosing? Want the GM coaches to own the picks and the pressers? That, you know, it's a very interesting thing I'll get into in a minute. You know, Elliot Wolf's the number one guy from what we've been told. Is he going to be the one speaking to the media? Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe. You just got that homework. I don't know how many places outside of this place right here in Boston, in New England, will give you the information that I just gave you. Not to say they're doing it wrong. It's just saying that we do things differently here on the Nick Cattle Show. And hopefully all of you appreciate that. Give us that like, comment, and subscribe. We're trying to hit 2,000 subscribers by March 1st. So Elliot Wolf, Alonzo Highsmith, I love the mixture. And I love that they're moving away from the Belichick grading system. However, even though I have zero issue with where they landed, I do have an issue with the process. Because same as the head coach, they didn't have a search. And they weren't interested in having a search. Jonathan Jones at CBS wrote about this. The Patriots have made no moves to interview any external candidate for their vacant primary football executive position. League rules would allow for the Patriots to keep that position vacant all season long. Belichick was the team's primary football executive, a designation with the NFL League office that informs everyone who is at the top of the football chart. In Dallas, it's Jerry Jones. In Kansas City, it's GM Brett Veach. In New England, according to sources, it's nobody. And while Matt Groh was considered the number two football decision maker in New England last year, the secondary football executive position has also been vacant. There's been some talk of the Patriots running a search after April's draft, but sources league-wide find that unlikely. Now, there could be some semantics games being played here. The difference between a search and bringing in somebody who's trusted. And what I mean by that is, you might not necessarily need a vast search out there if you want to bring in somebody like John Robinson or Scott Pioli or Thomas Dimitrov or one of those names we've talked about, Dave Ziegler. If you bring in one of those guys after the draft and put them in a position along with Wolf and Highsmith to run this front office, you don't necessarily have to go on that crazy search because you have experience with those guys. Jonathan Jones wrote, CBS, if Kraft opts to fill the primary football executive position, he'll have to open up a full search that would include interviewing at least two external minority candidates. Here's why I don't like this. Number of different reasons. And again, I am perfectly fine where they landed. I love this idea of Wolf and Highsmith. I just don't like the process. It's similar to Gerard Mayo. I like Gerard Mayo. I'm fine that they landed on Mayo, especially when you look at the round, around the rest of the league and see where other teams landed for their head coaches. I'm fine with Mayo, but the lack of a process, the lack of a search, I am not fine with. Zero due diligence here. You know, you go out and you talk to other GMs, you talk to other front office people, you, you interview them because you want to get an idea as to what they think, how they think, what's their philosophy, what's their approach. And maybe you find somebody who's very talented and you might not have known that they were that talented. But during the interview process, you say, man, that person was incredible. We have to bring them into this front office. If you're not having those conversations, that's what's going on. Also, what's a make of the reports that we've talked about before? Gerard Mayo talking to people outside the building. Was that Highsmith? Who was Gerard Mayo reportedly speaking to? Because they obviously, according to Jonathan Jones, have not you know, officially interviewed external candidates. The idea that there is no name listed for the primary football executive is also bothersome to me because it leaves the door open 
for things to happen. And what I mean by that is if you don't have a primary football executive listed, it leaves the door open for Jonathan Kraft to walk in if he wants to. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but it leaves open the possibility of Jonathan Kraft walking into that room and saying, hey, I know you guys want to draft so-and-so at number three, but we want to draft this guy at number three. And all of a sudden, the night of the draft, the Kraft's Bigfoot their way, right? This leaves the door open to that without a name in that spot. Before I go on, big show tomorrow. Andrew Callahan will join us from the Boston Herald. We will talk about this offseason with the Patriots, what's been done, what he thinks is going to happen. We will have that tomorrow live at 11 a.m. We'll be taking your questions. We're going to pay special attention to Super Chats tomorrow because tomorrow's Super Chats are going to be donations to cancer research in honor of Doug Kide's family and the tragedy they've had to go through recently. So myself and Andrew Callahan will be on tomorrow morning at 11 a.m. sharp if the snow is okay and doesn't crush us. But we will be on this tomorrow at 11 a.m. This channel, myself and Andrew Callahan, will be taking your questions about the Patriots offseason. And every Super Chat, every dollar that you send to us tomorrow will go towards cancer research. And in the description of tomorrow's podcast at that YouTube channel, we will also have a link that you can click uh, click on and you could also send some money and donate to Cancer Research. Again, that's tomorrow's show, a very special show, a big show for myself. Glad that Andrew was cool with joining me. We'll do that tomorrow. We'll go through the Patriots offseason. We'll take your questions. Should be great. No primary football executive. Don't forget to give us that thumbs up. Also create some murkiness. We know that Elliot Wolf is the guy, but are there going to be instances where he could be overruled? See, when you when you don't go through a search and you don't name a primary football executive, it creates all of these mysterious, questionable scenarios. And it leads people to go on sports talk radio and other places and go bananas about, oh, now this guy's going to do this and this guy's going to do that. It opens the door for that. The conjecture, right? The hyperbole. That's, you know, that's how this works. So leaving the door open to me is not a good idea. Why not make Elliot Wolf the primary football executive if that's what he's doing? If he's the number one guy, then why not put his name on the paper? What are we doing? To me, it should be Wolf as the primary and then Highsmith as the number two guy. Why are the Patriots not doing that? Maybe they'll do it this week. Maybe they'll do it next week. But if there is no primary football executive listed and it's because they don't want to interview other people, I've got an issue with that. I've also got an issue with this idea that Highsmith and Wolf, if they're not placed into those positions, they could be poached. Any NFL team could give a phone call to Elliot Wolf and say, we want to bring you on as president of football operations. And because the Patriots don't have him listed as the primary football executive, he could be taken. He could be taken from the organization, and so can Highsmith. So why don't you protect the two assets that you have in the front office right now? It also makes a complete joke of the Rooney Rule. The Rooney Rule, the idea is to bring in minorities, head coaches, coaches, front office people, to put them in front of owners so owners can learn about some of these minorities that are not getting as many opportunities as others are throughout the league. And so when you run the end around like the Patriots are doing, finding the loophole, you're disrespecting to me the Rooney Rule process and why the Rooney Rule exists in the first place. 
Tom Curran and Phil Perry also said on Friday's Patriots Talk podcast that Wolf and Company, from their sit-down with Robert Kraft, they feel like Wolf and Company are on a probationary period, quote-unquote. Those are the vibes they got from Kraft. If that take is true, and this is a probationary period, do you actually have conviction in Elliot Wolf? Are you committed to this guy? Do you believe in him? Or is he just going to have this role because there is nobody else in the front office that you thought was good enough or experienced enough to take that role? That is a problem. Are you all in on Elliot Wolf, or are you just making this move because that's who you had there, and that's the guy who's probably better than anybody else to do this job right now in the moment? I want this person, I want Elliot Wolf running this offseason because you are 100% committed to him, not because it was the easiest pathway, not because he was already there. This is a huge offseason, tens of millions of dollars of cap space. The number three pick in the draft, the second pick in the third round. You have three top 70 picks. I want to know that the ownership actually believes in the guys that are running this program instead of them running the okey-doke and making sure they found a way to not name a primary football executive. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Tony Starks jumps in. I would know if things are different when Devontae Parker and Juju are not on this roster. Well, look, Devontae can be taken off the roster easier than Juju. Juju's got money left. And so can they trade Juju? I hope so. They were able to trade Jonu Smith. I don't think, you know, it's a terrible idea to bring back Juju Smith-Schuster if he's like your fifth receiver on the roster, right? I mean, I think the issue with Juju was he wasn't healthy, number one. And number two, he was replacing Jacoby Myers, even though the Patriots are trying to leak out there that Mike Gesicki was the Jacoby Myers replacement, which is even worse. But Juju has like a fifth receiver, sixth receiver. Not a huge issue with him. You just can't have those guys be, you know, your, your number one, number two options. But I would, I would want them both out. Don't get me wrong. I want them both out. But if you told me Juju's back to be like the fifth receiver on the roster, I'm not going to lose my mind over it. Just find better players so the guy doesn't have to touch the freaking field. Amstel says, Jaden Daniels time. We'll see. Lots of smoke screens out there, folks. Lots of smoke screens. Edward Butler, Nick, you give us the good and the bad. That is why I watch the show. Thank you. I appreciate the kind words, Edward. I really do. I really do. I try to give you what's going on. What's happening, Sports Unlimited? 
I appreciate you. Uh, it's a good question. Smart name says, what was the Patriots hit miss draft rate in the same time period? Uh, I, I would have to go back and look at that and maybe I will. Uh, I would say again, though, Bill Barnwell did a fantastic job looking at the drafts from 2015 to 2022. And uh, it wasn't good. It was dreadful, especially in the top three rounds. So I hope you all enjoyed that homework. All right. Some quick thoughts on the Super Bowl. Quick. The 49ers allowed the Chiefs to hang around. And, and that ultimately killed them last night. The Chiefs played like crap for like three quarters. They couldn't get out of their own way. They couldn't snap the football cleanly. Mahomes threw the terrible pick in the second half. I mean, the, the Pacheco had the fumble inside the, the red zone. They could not get out of their own way. But the 49ers weren't able to put them down. They had the opportunity to go up 14, 17. And they missed on the opportunity. And if you let a great quarterback like Mahomes, like Brady, any great quarterback, if you let them hang around, inevitably, they could kill you. And that Mahomes game-winning drive, Travis Kelsey had one catch for seven yards. I mean, talk about using what you have at your disposal. Pacheco and Rice were the two guys that Mahomes used. And, of course, he used his own legs on that big-time conversion. So when you look at that game-winning drive, that is using everybody. It's the old Brady stuff, right? Who's his favorite receiver, the open receiver? But, it's a big but. we got to slow down with the Mahomes-Brady stuff. And it's not because I'm from New England. It's not because I'm a Patriots fan. It's not because I love Tom Brady. Not because any of that. It's the fact that even after the win last night, Patrick Mahomes is not even halfway there to Tom Brady. 42.8% of the way, if you want to get technical and analytical and look at the numbers. Patrick Mahomes is 42.8% the way towards Tom Brady's seven Super Bowls. So I, I think we could, we could appreciate Patrick Mahomes. We could talk about his individual greatness. We can say he is one of the best quarterbacks, I think, already of all time. But it reminds me of the Bill Belichick conversation. We can, we can appreciate Belichick's first 20 years. We can say he's the greatest coach of all time. We can do all of those things, but we can also look at the reality of the past four or five years and things not going well. And him absolutely destroying offensive personnel and mishandling the quarterback position. Both of those things can be true. Mahomes can be one of the greatest quarterbacks, one of the best that we've seen. His individual accolades and what he's done early in his career have been unbelievable. However, he is still a significant distance away from Tom Brady. So all of this stuff is, you know, missed. The context is missed. You could have the debate, even if Mahomes gets to seven rings, then you look at those performances from Super Bowl to Super Bowl and say, what did they do? Brady's fourth quarter against the Seattle Seahawks is the best quarter of football I've ever, ever seen a quarterback have in the biggest moment. That fourth quarter against Seattle was obnoxious. The comeback against Atlanta, obnoxious. So I think we, we can appreciate Mahomes without going bananas and saying, oh, well, you know, Brady's got to watch out. Maybe if he gets to four and five, we can talk about that. And what's the you know what's Kansas City look like post Travis Kelsey? 
What do they look like when Andy Reid retires? How long is Reid willing to go? What else happens in the AFC? Another, I think, feather in Brady's cap is the fact that he had to battle Peyton Manning. I mean, he was he was going against the best quarterback outside of himself all of the freaking time. So Peyton Manning versus Josh Allen. Peyton Manning versus Lamar Jackson. That's all the context that people will not bring up because it's too nuanced. It takes too much time. It's So I'm not going to go there. We also have to ask the question, will Mahomes be able to age as well as Brady aged? We don't know. Meanwhile, Kyle Shanahan, my freaking goodness, he has blown a 10-plus point lead in all three Super Bowls he's coached in. You go back to the Atlanta 28-3 game when they decided not to run the football. Duh. Awful. You go back to the Jimmy Garoppolo game against Kansas City. Garoppolo misses that deep pass that should have been a touchdown. You go to last night, the decision to not take the ball, or the decision to take the ball, rather, to start overtime, and I know people say, oh, well, the analytics will tell you that it doesn't really matter. That's BS to me. In the overtime, I am deferring every single time in the Super Bowl because I want to know what my team needs to do to win that football game. Do I need a field goal? Do I need a touchdown? If I get a touchdown, can I go for two? Then I can win the game flat out. And if if you take the ball, like we saw last night, you get a field goal, okay, great. Now the Chiefs know they need a touchdown to win that game. Now they know they're going to go for it on fourth down if that scenario plays out, which it did, and they did go for it on fourth down. And I would imagine that Andy Reid would have gone for two if if San Francisco got the touchdown and kicked the extra point and it was a seven-point game. If the Chiefs score six, I think Reid would have gone for it for two to win that game. So I defer 10 times out of 10. I will disagree with the people that say it doesn't matter or Shanahan didn't mess up. I defer every single time. And the last note I will say about that game last night, and it directly ties into the Patriots situation when we look at the draft and we talk about quarterbacks. Brock Purdy had a great season. Brock Purdy is a fantastic story. But Brock Purdy is not Patrick Mahomes. Brock Purdy isn't Josh Allen. He's not one of these top upper echelon quarterbacks with special traits. When you have a quarterback, even as great as he was this year, and even as fantastic of a story he has been, Brock Purdy is limited compared to top quarterbacks that have great and or elite traits. And when you have a quarterback, no matter how talented the rest of your team is, when you have a, a quarterback like Purdy and you're in the Super Bowl going against a quarterback like Patrick Mahomes, your margin of error is so tiny. I mean, the Chiefs played terrible for three quarters and they still won the game. So you look at margin of error when you have a quarterback like that. Food for thought when we look at the Patriots in the draft. like. Every like means the world to us. More likes means more eyeballs. We went a little bit long today. I thought it was worth it. Hope every single one of you appreciated the High Smith and Wolf homework I did. By the way, big show tomorrow. Andrew Callahan will join us. Super Chats tomorrow. All of the proceeds will go towards cancer research. We'll also have a link within the description on the YouTube channel. You can go to on the episode. You click the link, and you can donate 
to cancer research as well during the pod if you'd like to do that. So tomorrow we have a big-time show. Myself and Andrew Callahan breaking down all things Patriots, 11 a.m. right here on the YouTube channel, Facebook, Twitter, slash X. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe. Trying to hit 2,000 subscriptions by March 1st. That's the goal. Help us get there. And if you're listening on Spotify and Apple Pods, rate and review as well. I appreciate every single one of you. Back tomorrow morning with Andrew Callahan at 11 a.m. to talk Patriots and take your questions. Until then, enjoy yourself.